And what's nice about that is, again, you're building a real estate portfolio anyway. So what if instead of housing the dollars in a savings account or the business checking account or money market account, what if you're housing it in this policy that pays a growing dividend each year and you can deploy the dollars out into your real estate deals, but keep earning the same dividend every year in the policy? Well, now you have the same dollar growing in two places at the same time. It's earning a return in real estate investment and it's earning a return via a dividend in the policy. So you're now doubling the effort of the same dollar. And what that looks like long-term is you get to 60, 65, 70. Now you've got this real estate portfolio you've built over the years that's providing your steady stream of income that you need. You also have an entirely uncorrelated, off the IRS radar, tax-free cash account that you can use for tax-free distributions in retirement. So now you've got twice the bang for the same buck. And so that's that's the beauty of that strategy and, and why I love to teach real estate investors about it. Welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. Cody Laughlin and John Beatty speak to industry experts to discuss all aspects of investing in multifamily real estate and seek to help all multifamily real estate investors improve their education and learn proven strategies to grow their businesses. Now here's your hosts, Cody Laughlin and John Beatty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. So glad you joined us today. we got another great topic to discuss today with a great guest. But before we get to the show, make sure to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe to the show and download today's episode. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to leave us a written rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback and help getting the show out there. Also, if you haven't connected with us yet, we'd love to do so. Check our Facebook page out, the South Texas Multifamily and More for some great network and education content. And make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and you can also follow us on Instagram. And if you want to learn more about me and John and what we're doing at Blue Oak Capital, check us out at www.blueoakinvest.com. So with that, John, how you doing, my friend? I'm great. I got all my kids in bed. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good when it goes smoothly. <laughs> the um, things that we celebrate when we're parents, man. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> all right. We've got Adam with us today. I'm, I'm thankful to have Adam. Uh, so, you know, interesting background. So, Adam's actually a former police officer. He turned to wealth advisor. He's been a real estate investor since 2011. Like a lot of folks, started with wholesaling, built a portfolio of single family rentals using the Burr strategy in 2019. So just recently transitioned into multifamily properties, now owns 52 units through syndication. And right now, Adam works full-time at Prevail Wealth Strategies in Kansas City and helps real estate investors insulate themselves from rising taxes and market volatility and maximizing every dollar. Adam, thanks for being with us. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. That was a a really well-read info. You made me feel kind of famous. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> you are famous. <laughs> and by the way, you won't find a better voice to do that too. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a new, I got a new future now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, man, again, welcome to the show, man. Looking forward to, to learning more about you and your background and, uh, you know, very interesting career change from being a yeah. public servant to, uh, you know, the financial world. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got into police work because ever since I was a little kid, I knew that was what I wanted to do. And I did really love the career about my first 10 years in it. Got married, had a kid, priorities changed, got tired of being chronically broke and living check to check. And so it was about 2011 was that point where I was 10 years in and decided I need to figure out something that's going to 
that's going to do better for me long term. Um, and I felt like I'd seen enough, done enough, and it was time to start looking for the next chapter. And so it took me five years really to land on what I ended up getting into was, was financial services. But um, 2011 is when I started exploring real estate and business and just basically, you know, getting a self-education on building wealth since, as both of you, I'm sure know, it's not something that you got to seek it out. They don't share it in school. It's not something that's commonly known. You got to go find the education. It's definitely not taught in high school. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before. Listen, we, we have nothing but respect for all of our public servants out there. And, and but, uh, you know, it's, it's such a volatile issue and, and um, topic of discussion, if you will. So, you know, glad to see you kind of in, in a more safer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> field, if you will. So, but anyway, so tell us a little bit more about your, your experience in the financial world and how you've kind of built up your portfolio so far. Well, I had, again, because out of my own personal interests and for my own personal well-being, I went on this journey of self-education on wealth building and just really started enjoying, you know, some of the different topic areas. Loved learning about business and running a, a successful and profitable business. I loved what I learned about real estate. Then started getting into real estate, doing deals, doing wholesales, um, doing buy and holds using the burst strategy, like John mentioned in the intro. And um, it just made a lot of sense. And what I noticed during those years as I was doing that and gaining that experience was the traditional financial planning model is broken. I mean, I, I sat with some advisors who tried to, you know, make me a client. And I have friends who've had experiences with a traditional minded advisor. And what people are led to believe is the way to build wealth versus what actually is, it just didn't match up for me. You know, I didn't like the idea of turning my money over to somebody else, blindly trusting that they'll manage it well for the next 20 to 30 years, paying them a fee every year, whether they make me money or not. And then at the end of the line, we'll see if it all worked out. That's not how you build wealth. Um, what you do is you get actively engaged in your finances and you purchase assets like real estate that can produce income and, and produce some net worth for you that grows over time. And uh, I would say pretty much any wealthy person that I know in my network, they all own a business of some sort and they all have some sort of real estate involvement. And so I think that's a big clue. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree with that. Yeah, I'll echo what you mentioned. Uh, building equity, whether that's in, in, in real estate through the proper use of leverage in a business or real estate has been 95% of the people I've talked to. Now, there's some high income earners in sales that have built their wealth through mega commissions. But sure. uh, for the most part, I agree with exactly what you said. So how did you get involved with Prevail? And tell us a little bit more about Prevail and what you guys are offering there as far as your financial services. Well, they actually weren't the first firm that I started with. You know, back up just a little bit, I knew I was going to leave police work. And so I was trying to find the next thing. And through investing in rentals, I learned that while I love how real estate can build wealth for me, managing properties, selling properties. That wasn't what I wanted to do full time. I wanted the advantages that real estate can offer for me, but I didn't want to be on the operations side. So I had to figure out, okay, what business am I going into? And it was through frustration with that traditional model that I just described in the financial services space that I had some conversations with my wife and, and she said, well, why don't you be an advisor and why don't you be disruptive in your industry? You can go do exactly what you're doing, teach people how to do that. And I thought, well, that's a really good idea if I can make it work. I didn't really know how the financial industry works. So I jumped in in January of 2018 with my ideas of what I was going to do. 
and was met with a lot of resistance mm. at the first couple of firms that I worked with because they were in that traditional model and I was looking to do things differently. And so that was interesting. So it actually took some time and a process to find Prevail, which is a firm that was founded with the purpose of being disruptive in the industry. And so I met with one of the people there, one of the divisional vice presidents. And as we started talking, it was like we were reading off the same sheet of music. And so that's what I loved about Prevail. What attracted me is they're not a traditional minded firm. They're very interested in doing things that are not mainstream, but that the wealthy truly are doing. And so it was a good fit. I love the disruption play. Yep. Some of the guys I listen to, they call it the old wall, the old Wall Street. That's the traditional, give me your money. Maybe I make some money. Maybe I don't, but I'm still getting a cut of it mentality. And it's just, you know, they've been running the same tape for, you know, 70 years. So I love hearing that. And by the way, have we all not seen disruption in the past six months and some right. really disruptive technologies take over? Guess what? We're on Zoom. <laughs> So right. this is, that's great. So tell us a little bit more about the, what kind of disruption are you, are you doing versus the traditional model? So really the underlying premise at Prevail is that we want to put control back in the hands of clients. So instead of your traditional model where you come in and the advisor kind of creates a plan for you and kind of says, hey, this is what you ought to do. And a lot of people, I think, feel led along in that process. Ours is totally different. We approach it very much consultative and educational. And one of the key education pieces that our model leans on is the fact that in the traditional model, people by default will be investing through tax deferred accounts. And we firmly believe that tax rates are going to have to go up in the future. And if that's the case, then why in the world would we defer the tax today, accumulate the money to a larger sum, and then owe an unknown, probably larger tax bill some point down the road. We don't want to put people in that position. We believe that takes control away. All right. I got to, I got to step in here because you're speaking the same script that I'm preaching. <laughs> um, everybody take a step back. Think about where we're at, what the environment looks like. You want to maximize after-tax dollars. Now, consult your CPA. I'm not a financial advisor. But Adam is right what you're, you're thinking is right directionally. I see no way out of our global financial situation unless you either devalue your currency or you tax your way out and maybe a combination of both. And so my, my thesis has been similar to Adam's and your, your firm, maximize after-tax dollars because they're known. It, it's, it's known at whatever rate you're at right now versus in the future. Yep. Yep. Again, it's about control and you know, if you accumulate all that wealth in a tax deferred account, and let's say it's now 20 years later, and you don't get to set the tax rates, the IRS does. So the question becomes, let's say you have $2 million in that account, how much is yours? And so how can you plan for income when you don't even know what you get to keep? That's kind of the, the heart of it, you know, from our perspective. So I, I think that when we start educating people on that, it's interesting. It doesn't matter whether they earn a lot of money or don't. Whenever I've met with a client and they come in the office, what's really interesting is we find that about 80% or in some cases more than 80% of all of their wealth is wrapped into that tax deferred category. And, and we just think that's a dangerous place to be. I want to say one thing about what you mentioned, John, about there's really only two options, right? Devaluing your currency or taxing your way out. Well, if we look to history, Back in 1944, 1945, after World War II, we did just that. We taxed our way out. 
And just a fun trivia point for those that are listening and for you guys, do, do you happen to know what the, the top marginal tax bracket was in 1944 and 1945? Uh, no, so it was, it, was 90, it was 94%. 94, okay. Uh, that's, that's a little bit. <laughs> now, obviously, that was a top-earning Americans, but the point being, if you look, our top marginal tax bracket right now is like 37, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so compare that to 94%. Well, we've been there in the past. What's to keep us from going there in the future? And I, I think to your point, John, we've done a lot of spending lately and we've kept tax rates low. At some point, that balance has to tip, I think. We are at the largest percent of GDP, uh, or debt to GDP that uh, since World War II. Uh, that was pretty close to 1947, like you mentioned. So I, you know, I think there's this, the same playbook that we, can, we have to refer to. So now this is great. So you know, tell tell us a tell us a little story about uh, some of your clients. What are you kind of guiding them through? Um, just you know, just on average, what's the step when they come to you, and then how are you setting them up for success and, and guiding them? So we always will start with you know education and informing folks. Usually about the same time or right after having a conversation where you know we kind of share historical tax rates and where we think tax rates are headed and why. I always love to share a good book. If they're, you know, someone that likes to read or an audiobook, we often will share the book, The Power of Zero with our clients. So that's a good one if you're listening to, to check that book out if you haven't read it or haven't listened to the audio version, The Power of Zero by David McKnight. And he basically lays out exactly what I just spoke to, the why, the importance of being in a position where you're in control if tax rates should, should change and especially if they should go up. And then just kind of helping clients think about things differently, whereas the focus with traditional financial planning is usually on accumulation and average rates of return. And there's significance and importance to that, right? I mean, in our real estate investing, we're always evaluating rates of return and and whether an investment makes sense, you know, numbers-wise. But that's really the first half of the equation. The second half of the equation is, you know, what are we building all this for? Well, the hope is eventually we're going to have streams of income that, you know, create predictable income that takes care of us so we don't have to work until we're dead. And so when you start thinking about distribution, the focus changes. Because in distribution, the average rate of return becomes really irrelevant. It becomes about how can you maximize those dollars? So if you're going into your distribution phase at whatever age you want to call it, 60, 65, 70, doesn't matter. If you've got $2 million, $5 million, less or more, how long is that going to last you? And at that point, it's not average rates of return that matter. It, it, what matters is year to year, what's the income you can take? And so we just set people up to be thoughtful about that and then help them get where most of our clients have got assets they've accumulated in a tax deferred account or in a taxable account. And so if they're over concentrated in those categories, helping them shift or transition a portion of those assets into tax free. And John, kind of like you, uh, for my own personal finances, I always think, well, the more tax-free, the better. But either way, if someone's over-concentrated in a tax-deferred or a taxable category, we just want to help them get rebalanced to where, from a tax perspective, they've got a lot more in the tax-free bucket. Is the approach as you're educating clients, and as you mentioned, the thought process is deviated from the traditional mindset, is the thought to, to try to steer people away from uh, the traditional investment vehicles like the stock market or whatnot, or is it, is it the approach more of like, hey, listen, you just need to be well diversified and investing uh, across a portfolio that will hedge against you know, your inflation and, and shelter your tax burden down the road? You know, what's, what's the strategy or the approach? 
So we do allow the client to totally be in control of and guide that piece of it because everybody's got a different investor ID. Some people want to be involved in the markets and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do and where you want to be. But it's interesting. Most of the folks we talk to already have some exposure to real estate or they're very, very interested in it. And a lot of times that's another education point where they're not even aware of opportunities like, you know, what Blue Oak is doing. They're not even aware of how syndications work. And so that's an opportunity, right? Just to expand their education. But I I never necessarily encourage or discourage someone one direction or the other. My goal is to educate them, then be consultative and allow them to say, okay, well, knowing that I'm interested in this or that, and, and just going with their investor idea and with their own personal agenda. Yeah, I, I love that approach. And I love you giving that control to the investor because, you know, like as, as real estate investors, we're very biased to our investment vehicle, right? We, we're obviously pursuing this because we, we love what it can do and the potential that it offers. But my approach for the longest time was to argue against investing in stocks, why real estate's better than stocks or, ver- you know, whatnot. But really that's, you know, as you mentioned, everybody's investment appetite is different. And, and it's important to get people to understand is like, you know, I'm not going to change your mind if you're stuck in this avenue or not. And, and that's not the goal. It's, it's, as you said, to provide that education, provide that value, but also just get people to think outside the box. Hey, if, look, you just need to be well diversified and understand that there's more than one avenue to go down. So quick point on diversification. I'm a big diversification guy. Tiger 21, it's an investing club for ultra high net worth individuals. They're actually, I looked at their allocation every year. And about 25, 30% is in real estate, direct owned real estate, like syndications and whatnot. About a quarter of it is also in, in private equity, so small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rest is kind of div- diversified between you know, cash and bonds and whole life insurance and, and, and equities. So you know, it's, it's the diversified portfolio, if you will. But you know, half of it is real estate and small business. So th- there is a large portion of real estate uh, but again, diversification is kind of the one of the only free lunches, right? So anyway, that's that's my that's my take on it. But I I, I appreciate uh, exactly what you guys are doing at uh, yeah at Prevail. Yeah. So John, why don't we sign up for Tiger Twenty One yet, dude? Uh, it's thirty thousand dollars a year, and I can replicate <laughs> it. <laughs> another discussion for another time. Sidebar. <laughs> hey Adam, uh, tell us specifically your clients that are real estate investors. Uh, you know, kind of give us some stories about how you've kind of transformed them to help close more real estate or position their portfolio to actually execute some of the things they want to do in real estate. Sure. Well, one of my favorite strategies that we have available that we educate people at Prevail is a capital strategy for real estate investors where we truly can maximize the use of each dollar. By being in real estate, you're already going to build some wealth that way. Personally, if we're talking personal preferences, it's my favorite asset class. I'm in love with real estate, probably same as you guys, right? So I want to wave the real estate flag just as much as you guys do. Um, And I love it. You're going to be doing that anyway. And that's probably where you're going to achieve your greatest returns when we talk about average rates of return and accumulating wealth. It's probably going to be through that primary uh, asset class of real estate. Or for those who are business owners, maybe it's your business, right? You know, if you plug 10 grand in the business for, for business growth, you're going to get it back and then some. So that's awesome that you're doing that. What we find with business owners, real estate owners, and again, this kind of goes back to diversification, but also really goes back to de-risking, is it's easy to be over-concentrated in your business. And that can put you in a, in a pinch. Well, 
let's rewind a few months. And as a multifamily owner myself, you know, I was really worried about what happens with rent checks back in March and April. If you're over-concentrated there, it's nice if you have some other assets that are uncorrelated to that or independent of that. So we have a capital strategy where the asset class we use, you actually mentioned it just a moment ago, John, is we use dividend paying whole life insurance. But instead of structuring it as primarily an insurance policy, we're structuring it primarily as a tax-free asset and a cash account, a warehouse of cash. And the reason that we use that is a lot of our clients that, that come in the door, they may already have a Roth. And we think Roths are a fantastic vehicle for building tax-free wealth. The thing about Roths is with all their advantages, they also come with some limitations. You can actually make too much money to be able to contribute regularly. If you're married and you make over 203000 a year, you, you're disqualified for making Roth contributions that year. The other thing is if you're making good money, putting 6000 a year into a Roth is helpful, but that doesn't really move the needle. So you need to find the next tax-free asset. And then the other thing is, again, those limitations, you know, once you put the money in the Roth, it's fairly well locked up until you're 59 and a half. Obviously, there are some ways you can do a workaround and get into that into that bucket. But if you want to see any benefit from that money today, you're going to need something that gives you more liquidity, more options for liquidity. So with the life insurance piece, we can get all the same benefits we get out of a Roth. We can get growth out of that account. It can be tax-free. It's actually off the IRS radar completely. Also, if you have kids or grandkids who are going to be filling out a FAFSA because they're applying for student aid, it doesn't count as part of the family's assets. In most states, you would want to talk with your you know, local attorneys that understand uh, the, the lawsuit laws, but in most states, it's also an off-the-balance sheet asset. So if you would get sued or a creditor would come after you, your whole life insurance can't be touched. And so it makes a really nice warehouse of cash. And what's nice about that is, again, you're building a real estate portfolio anyway, So what if instead of housing the dollars in a savings account or the business checking account or money market account, what if you're housing it in this policy that pays a growing dividend each year and you can deploy the dollars out into your real estate deals, but keep earning the same dividend every year in the policy? Well, now you have the same dollar growing in two places at the same time. It's earning a return in real estate investment and it's earning a return via a dividend in the policy. So you're now doubling the effort of the same dollar. And what that looks like long-term is you get to 60, 65, 70. Now you've got this real estate portfolio you've built over the years that's providing your steady stream of income that you need. You also have an entirely uncorrelated, off the IRS radar, tax-free cash account that you can use for tax-free distributions in retirement. So now you've got twice the bang for the same buck. And so that's, that's the beauty of that strategy and, and why I love to teach real estate investors about it. Yeah. So that's the, what are you calling that? Banking with life or? Yep. So it's been called infinite banking. The, the guy that gets all the credit for, you know, educating on that strategy is Nelson Nash. Nelson Nash. Yeah. Um, and he has a book out there called Becoming Your Own Banker. Would not recommend that book unless you love numbers because it is pretty dry. It's easy to fall asleep reading. Um, I would say The Power of Zero is a much easier one. Or, or there's another good book on this same topic uh, by Garrett Gunderson called What Would the Rockefellers Do? And, and he titles it cash flow insurance. Same thing. You're just, you're just creating an asset with insurance and you're taking advantage of the IRS laws around the product. So I liked, I liked what you heard. And, and by the way, the whole life insurance policy, I assume this is through a mutual. Yep. To make a distinction, it's really good you brought that up. It is really important that you use the right kind of company because not every company can offer a product that will do what I just talked about. And the other thing is it's important you work with an advisor that understands how to structure that policy properly. 
to where you're maximizing your cash value and minimizing your death benefit. Because again, we're not looking to purchase an insurance policy per se. A death benefits along for the ride, which is nice when you think legacy, but the primary goal is we're creating a tax-free asset that is cash that we can use today. And that's, it's a big deal that you work with somebody that knows how to structure that. If you've got the wrong policy, you can't leverage it. Yeah. Or you'll be waiting a long, long time in, in order to be able to. Yeah. So yeah, time is of the essence, folks. And you want to be able to do this before you uh, are no longer able to uh, yeah. participate in the active real estate activities. So hmm, let's break this down a little bit. The asset protection, that was a new one on me. So I certainly heard about this, Nelson Nash and using whole life, leveraging it. So the initial cash value is compounding at four or 5%. You can take a loan against it for you know however much, 5%, and then invest that into something, let's just say real estate, that's you know giving you a 10% cash on cash return. So you've got a spread of five and that's all well and good. And on top, you've got a death benefit. Fantastic. But the interesting thing to me was, I was like, I didn't know the IRS, or at least from creditors, you know, this could be kind of hidden. Obviously, check with your state, but uh, that's that's another interesting concept that I, I was not aware of when introduced to this concept. What are some of the other uh, the benefits of this? Well, it sounds like you've had some education on it, John, and that's great because there are just a, a few other benefits, mainly that when it comes to financial planning, I think this is an ideal wealth cornerstone. In other words, it's a great place to start. You're going to have other strategies. You're going to do other types of accounts. This is a great cornerstone financial piece because not only does it do all the things I just talked about and double as tax-free supplemental retirement income, but when we think about all the things that can go wrong in life, this asset class, particularly life insurance, can cover a lot of gaps that other assets can't cover. And so what I mean by that is you can actually receive use of the death benefit while you're alive if things don't go like they're planned. For example, with your Roth or with any traditional account that you would be funding, even your savings account, let's say you're chugging away, working, earning your money, you're putting away whatever you're putting away every month, you all of a sudden get injured and you can't go to work. Well, if the paychecks stop from work, you're probably going to stop funding your personal savings. With a life insurance policy, most policies nowadays will offer a rider that allows you to waive the premium and the company actually picks up the tab and funds the asset for you if you would be disabled and can't go to work. So you now have a financial vehicle that once you put it in place, it's going to be perpetual even if you can't go to work and earn a living. Okay, so let's, 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 let's rewind that one real quick. That, that one kind of blew my mind. There's a, it's a rider that if I, don't, if I stop contributing because I am disabled for whatever reason. I can't go to work. I'm not collecting a paycheck. The insurance company, the mutual insurance company is contributing to it? Correct. They will fund the policy. It's contractually guaranteed. If you if you enact that rider, they'll fund the policy if you become totally disabled and you can't hmm. go to work. For how long? For the duration of your... Varies by company, but as far as the funding, if you qualify for the rider, yeah, they'll fund your policy. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> Cody and I have learned about this, but all these little layers keep kind of getting added on about the uh, the peculiarities of some of these different policies and riders. So yeah, no, that's a that's a new one on us. You, you know, so it's, it's interesting, right? So John's in the commodity space. I mean, he's looking at the you know private sectors all day. I mean, he looks at you know economic trends and all this stuff all day. Yeah, right? basically so, everything. So, yeah, so we're looking at capital markets. I mean, we're doing all this research. I mean, we've been in it for a little while now, and and we're not experts by any means, but 
you know, you, you, you feel like you've got a grasp on what's out there and then you, you, it's like every day we learn something new. And then, you know, to his point, you know, in, in learning about this and, and being able to leverage whole life insurance, it's just mind blowing. And we, we were joking before the show. We're like, man, dude, we're, we're just so green because it just, there's just so much out there. Like, you know, that's at your disposal. If you just step outside of the, the box, if you will, you know, yeah, Adam, take, get, give us the percentage or like, give us the story around how many people don't know about this. I, I hope it's a large uh, or a small amount that don't know about it, but I have a feeling it's not. So I don't know what those numbers look like. I will tell you that I've noticed within the real estate investor community, because I learned about this in 2011 and started doing it with my own money long before I ever knew I would be in this profession. But at that time, seemed like nobody I talked to was aware of it. Now, apparently it's gained a little bit of traction or momentum in the mainstream, at least among real estate investors, because the more conversations I've been having with folks day to day, this is something that people have at least heard of. There's still a lot of misinformation because I think there's a lot of advisors out there that, oh, here's a, here's a hot new way that I can sell life insurance. And that's just, again, the biggest thing about working with the right kind of advisor, preferably somebody who does this with their own money and implements it the way you plan to so they understand how it works and can explain it and show it to you. But to directly answer your question, John, I think you're right that the majority of folks still aren't very aware. So yeah, I enjoy educating people about this. And most folks, once they realize it, they're like, how come I never understood it this way? Mm-hmm. And uh, the only thing I can think of is, you know, you have people that have a really large brand like a Dave Ramsey, a Susie Orman. And of course they tell you whole life insurance is like throwing money down. Around. Oh, they burn that. They burn that at the stake. Which that is I would witchcraft. Say, if your goal is to have a lot of death benefit, then this would be the most expensive way to buy insurance. So if that's your primary goal, there's more economical options. Sure. Um, but when it comes to getting creative around the tax laws and building an asset that makes sense, we can certainly create an asset that makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that makes sense. There's a lot of benefits, uh, obviously what you've described, but it, it's very clear to me after talking with a lot of folks that, you know, this is not something that you, you want to jump on with somebody that's just offering this as an add-on or an extra product in their insurance arsenal, but someone rather that is focused on a asset management, estate protection kind of comprehensive view that is focused on leveraging the cash value to go make investments. Absolutely. Adam, I want to kind of digress just a little bit here. And and this might be a weird question, but just curious, what are the conversations like between you and, and your philosophy and thesis and what you're doing at Prevail versus other financial advisors that are more of the traditional approach. What do those conversations look like? And is there debate between the two? I mean, I'd be interested to get your perspective on what, how the communication flows in the industry between the two philosophies. Well, I will tell you, I don't have a whole lot of traditional financial advisors in my network just for the, for the fact that we don't see the world the same way. You know, yeah. is oil and water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, and it's interesting too, you know, with some of the LinkedIn posts that I've made before, I've gotten some interesting feedback from other folks in the industry. But, you know, I, th- I, think, I think that's okay because there's a client out there also for that traditional advisor. Mm-hmm. There are still plenty of folks that are not actively engaged in their finances and that are looking for an easy path. Mm-hmm. And those people are not the kind of folks I work with. So t- to answer your question directly, Cody, I don't have a lot of those conversations just because I don't have a lot of folks like that in my regular network. When I've had some encounters at 
chamber meetings and other networking events back before we were all staying inside, you know, the conversations are usually pretty short because again, they just don't see it the way I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Just curious. Again, just, it's, it's a change in the mindset. And as you alluded to, I mean, there's a vast majority of people that just don't know about these type of strategies or investment vehicles, if you will. And then there's a lot of people that are just, it's hard to kind of break through that traditional mindset and, and look outside the box, if you will. So, yeah, and, the, and the other thing is those traditional financial products are sold heavily yeah, and have been for decades and decades, right? So it, it's been branded and burnished into people's minds that that's kind of the, that's the way, you know, that's it. That's a good point. And, and Adam, I'd get, love to hear your perspective on this is why isn't this more publicly displayed? Why isn't it out there more? You know, why are we just, this, I feel like we're just hearing about this now and really coincidentally through our network on LinkedIn. Just curious, why, why is it not more accessible to the general public? Well, I don't think it serves the traditional industry's interests very well. You know, if you're getting paid to manage portfolios, the more money that you can bring under under the roof, the more assets under management you can have, the stronger your income is. And you don't necessarily have to do a lot other than just keep that money on the books. And so that's the traditional model. Long term, that's probably a lot more profitable than educating people on something they're unfamiliar with, helping them realize how it might play a part in their overall plan. And the other thing is... <laughs> Whereas the fees on money that's managed go up as the account gets bigger and as you're longer in the account, with life insurance, it's the exact inverse. On the front end, there's a fair amount of compensation, but as time goes by, it gets smaller and smaller and eventually goes away. Um, And the fee structure is that way in a life insurance policy too. So whereas as your managed portfolio gets bigger, the fees get bigger like a snowball rolling down the hill. With life insurance, the expense structure is pretty heavy up front because the insurance company has to cover their risk in case they would need to pay out the death benefit. But the longer you're in that policy and the larger the cash value gets, the smaller the expenses get. It's like a snowball in the sun melting. So it's a totally inverse it's an uh, opposite fee structure. Yeah. Yeah, it's an opposite uh, incentive structure. And I think that's that that probably needs <laughs> that's probably where we just need to stop on that one. That one's you got to follow the money and it sounds like the money stops uh, and the money keeps rolling on in yep. the traditional model. Yeah. It's interesting you said accessible, Cody, because the strategy itself has been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, back before the 401k was, you know, come up with in the, I think it was either the late 70s or early 80s, whole life insurance was actually a part of a lot of families' portfolios, especially the larger, wealthier families. Walt Disney used his policy, Mm -hmm. leveraged it to help fund the startup of Disneyland. Ray Kroc leveraged the policy to help him buy out the McDonald brothers. Um, And the gal who founded Pampered Chef, her name's Doris Christopher, back in 1980, she took a loan from her husband's life insurance policy to start Pampered Chef in their kitchen in Chicago. And probably some more recent examples, names that people will actually recognize, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who coaches at the University of Michigan, Mm-hmm. A significant portion of his compensation package is whole life insurance because it creates a tax-free retirement. It's quite an interesting arrangement, actually, to learn about. And then a very timely topic, because he's in the running for president, Joe Biden, on his personal financial disclosure, disclosed under the assets and income column that he has six whole life insurance policies. Wow. So a lot of folks have been doing it. It's just, like you said, not been super accessible to the middle markets and to everyday folks like us. 
uh, again, because I don't, I don't think the traditional industry is really incentivized to, to teach those strategies. Yeah. Yeah. But well, the I, advent of podcasts has made this possible. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. So you, you, you summed it up so eloquently. And, and again, it just kind of alludes back to the, your, your philosophy at what you guys do at Prevail, right? Where you you want the investor to have the control versus the traditional box. They want to keep the control. That's right. Because again, that's, that's their compensation model that's built for them. Um, but the, the less you know as an investor, the better, more it benefits them, I guess, if you will, right? Yep. Um, but when you can take this control back, changes everything. But man, it's just, it, it's interesting that you alluded to, you know, some of the people that are out there that are leveraging this vehicle and, and, and the way that they're leveraging it is such a powerful because, you know, we're, we're, we're talking obviously about using it towards investments, but as you alluded to, I mean, people are using this for a variety of different things, right? You can use yep. this in every asset aspect of your life, if you will. And, and you mentioned about Joe Biden only having six policies. There's no limit to the amount of policies you can have, correct? Is- That's true in a sense. I guess the only limitation would be you are purchasing an insurance product. You're using that as the chassis to build this asset on. And so at some point, the underwriters are only going to underwrite you for a given amount based on your human life value, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, but, the technical answer is that's right. There's not a limitation. They don't cap you out at two or five or whatever. Interesting. So I've got to, I've got to ask a quick question. I know we're running a little late here. Let's talk about cash. Do a lot of your clients have a lot of cash that they don't necessarily know what to do with? I mean, I'm talking about after tax, right? So, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm saving up. I'm, I'm putting this in an account and eventually I'm going to get it into real estate. But right now, you know, I'm just trying to build up that, you know, is that, is that a common case with some of your clients? It is a common case. Yep. All right. So walk us through the logic on what you're, what you're saying to them, how they're making the wrong, you know, misallocation. Usually that's in a, an LLC checking account or in the money market fund. And I'll usually ask the question, do you want to subject that money to risk to try to get a return on it while you're waiting for the next opportunity? And almost hundred percent of the time the answer is, well, no because I wouldn't want to take a 20% hit in the market and then a deal comes up and now I can't do it. And so, you know, from there, my follow-up is, well, what if we could find a warehouse, a place where you could warehouse that money? We could make a productive account where you're getting maybe four or 5% tax-free over the long term, And then we could also have the account be liquid so that when the right opportunity comes up, you're still able to execute on it. Oh, and by the way, we can attach a death benefit in case you're not around to complete your plan your family will still be fine. Oh, and by the way, this flies off the IRS radar. And in my home state of Kansas, because we're usually sitting in Kansas when we're talking in the office, that account would be protected from creditors and lawsuits. Would that be an interesting strategy? And overwhelmingly, folks are like, well, yeah, tell me all about it. So that's kind of that's how that conversation goes. You just sold us. <laughs> that, was, that was actually perfect. Like, I, that, that's a fantastic clip. So Adam, let me ask you, as a real estate investor yourself, stepping away from your financial advisor role, is this a strategy that you are utilizing to educate your passive investors on and even uh, leverage towards your you know, own investments, if you will? So I've been leveraging it in my own investments for several years now. And so I will often use my policy as a source for a down payment. And what's cool about this asset is a lot of lenders who lend on properties, this makes you a more appealing borrower because they know that money is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your family is going to keep that asset in place. You can actually, with many lenders, collateralize 
your cash value in your policy. Uh, so that's a pretty common thing you can do if you want to collateralize it, or you can access the money directly through a policy loan, which is what I usually do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if I'm taking a policy loan at a given percentage, I'll mark it up a few percent before I then loan it out to my LLC and I'll have my LLC paying interest back to me and deducting the interest uh, while the money's in the deal. So that's how I usually structure it. But yes, now you asked about my investors. It's interesting you bring that up. So I am very comfortably at this phase in the game, a limited partner, and I'd like to remain as such. And so um, I don't have investors per se, uh, but I like to be an investor in other people's deals. So that's kind of my orientation towards it at this point. Yeah. And and again, as you mentioned, I, I, I can imagine that you're probably, as you're networking with other investors, maybe similar to yourself who are just more interested in being passive investors, I can imagine that this is probably something you're definitely sharing with them about, hey, this is a very powerful strategy that you can use to help build your passive investing portfolio. Absolutely. I think everybody should at least know about it. And it's not necessarily a fit for everyone because people have different priorities. People have different risk profiles, but it's at least something folks need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. John, you got anything? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're stunned, man. I mean, it's just... Uh, <laughs> I, I again, I um, I thought I kind of understood this a little bit, but like every every peel of the onion, you learn a little bit more about this as we, you you can kind of get a little deeper. So mm-hmm. all the extra ancillary protections that this offers is is new to me again. Yeah, so yeah. I like it. Adam, again, you mentioned this too. I mean, what what perfect timing, right? Given the current circumstances we're in and and whatnot. I mean, you know, the more financial literacy that you can obtain and, and leverage, you know, the better you're going to be off in the long run. So, I agree. Um, well, man, Adam, we're getting near the end of our time here and uh, just phenomenal conversation. Again, love, love what you guys are doing over there at Prevail and, and just love this strategy. And as John alluded to, I love the concept of the disruptive uh, approach in that, you know, you just want to break the mold, if you will. So, so thank you for that, man. Thank you for the value that you're bringing to the community uh, and uh, definitely look forward to learning more about this. So, uh, before we do go, I have a few more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. So Adam, what are some things that you like to do for your continued education to help further your investing? Well, in the beginning, I purchased a fair amount of education from a couple different companies, but I just like to read now. And so there's several books that I'm always working on, it seems like. Um, the most recent one that I read, actually, I'm still reading on real estate, is uh, a multifamily book, Build a Rental Property Empire. But to answer your question, very much into anytime I can come across a real estate related book, especially ones on multifamily now that I got into that space and then love good podcasts like your guys' podcast. So, yep. Yep. That's how I stay educated and just try to keep learning on that. Yeah. Awesome. As an investor, what have been some of the lasting lessons that you've learned throughout your journey? Well, the first and probably most important one that I learned was that you do make your money on the buy and that, you know, it's really hard to make a deal work if you, if you got into it wrong. (laughs) So that was probably the first one that I learned. I would say just going down the line and we'll just do a top three if you want. Um, Number two would be the people. Like you've got to trust the folks you're working with. It really is very much based on trust because if you can't trust them, you'll never get good sleep at night. If you can trust the folks that you're in the deal with, it makes all the difference. And then the third part, and it's, it's right up there with the people you can trust is good systems and systems that you can trust. You've got to have systems in place like 
good property management, like managing the timeline as you get into the deal and are making improvements or whatever adjustments you're making to add value. I would say those are my top three. Love it, man. Thank you. You, you maybe have answered my next question, which was going to be what advice would you give to the audience to help them in their businesses? Yeah, I would absolutely say, you know, number one is you make your money on the buy. Number two is you got to work with people you trust. Number three is that systems piece. I'll add one more. Understanding your investor ID is critical. If you can't handle separating from your money for six months, 12 months, five years, whatever the timeline of the project is, again, it's hard to get sleep at night. And um, I learned this lesson the hard way when I was doing single families because I had a private money lender that I made the mistake of asking her if she wanted to be an equity partner on a deal. Turns out her investor profile was really good as somebody who's passive, who doesn't have their eye on the details, who just sees their interest payments every month and gets their money back at the end of the loan. When we brought her into the operations of the business, it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Turned out she was a real worry wart and it just bugged her to know all the details. She was better off being the lender. And so it's really important to understand your investor ID. It can save you and everybody around you a lot of stress. That is such, such a great tip. Thank you so much for that. Dude. It's yep. so, so important. Know thine self. Yeah. Yeah. Be an investigator like John. So John did a background check on me before we ever met for the first time. <laughs> so he already had, he was he's able cool. to, he's cool. Yeah, I checked out. So that's good. But, but that's such a good point, man. You want to definitely know who it is that you're working with and, and you got to be able to trust them. So, well, cool. Adam, well, listen, tell the listeners how they can uh, learn more about you and get connected with you. Sure. The easiest way to reach me directly is my LinkedIn. I'm on there every single day. So on LinkedIn, I'm just Adam Doran and the last name is D-O-R-A-N. And I think I'm the only one on there, but the only one in Kansas City for sure. So that's the easiest way to reach me directly is LinkedIn. And then our company website, if you want to check out my bio, is prevailiws.com. You can see my professional bio on there. Great. Well, Adam, thanks again for the great conversation. Really look forward to staying connected and learning more about you and Prevail. And um, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Want to connect with Cody and John? Email them at cody at blueoakinvests.com or john at blueoakinvests.com. Thank you for listening to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. Tune in next time.